0: Vlogcast episode 181, The Expensive Process of Maturation. Get in the arena. Maturity comes not with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. You are only young once, but immaturity can last a lifetime. Edwin Lewis Cole. Vlogcast. get in the arena. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, all of our esteemed Flawcast Nation. Flawcast listeners want to welcome you back to another fun-filled and I'm sure triggering episode of Flawcast. Um, Missed you guys. I am back here with my partner in crime, Mr. Tuckerson. Uh, Carl, say hi to everybody.
1: Hi, everybody. Mr. William, it is good to be World Headquarters again, and I'm pumped and ready to go. I'm fired up
0: me too. This is going to be a good one. So uh, we're going to get into it. This is, Got to get the shake and howdy out of the way first. So uh, once again, I want to welcome and thank everybody asking you, please, please, please share. This is definitely going to be one you're going to want to share. It's going to be, I think, a bit of an ouchie because I think it's something that, uh, once again, like we talked last week. We've been going through and getting some ouchies from it, but we're going to share that with you. So uh, nonetheless, uh, you can find us anywhere podcast star Flawedcast CLE is what you search. We're on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor.fm. You can also find us on the video platform Rumble under Flawed Inc. So make sure you share us. Once again, please share. (laughs) Uh, We're also uh, on the Project Mockingbird social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, and Gab, all under Flawed Inc. There is a link in the description below. You can get a copy of the book, Smith, Heart, A Man, Repair Manual. Uh, Our email is FlawedInc, at And uh, with that being said, uh, Carl, it is your second favorite time of the episode. Absolutely. Everyone,
1: please take your right hand. Place it over your left heart. Repeat after us. I
0: I pledge pledge allegiance to to the flag of of the United United States of America and to the republic Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. all. All right. All right, Carl, have at it.
1: Well, Mr. William, I think we finally figured out something that has been a question in my mind the last two years, and that is, and let's get straight and direct to the point, how is it possible for Christians to look at current world events and not recognize what is happening? Now, that's like very concise, very straight to the point, and I want you to join in. I know you're going to have insight into this, but oh boy! before we get into Scripture, which I have a lot, because I do believe that the mystery can be solved through truth, and I do believe Jesus to be the truth, that is one of his names in Scripture, and I do believe the Bible to be absolute truth. So if I'm sitting here at this time in history wondering how it's possible for me to be seeing something that other people don't see, and I know there's nothing special about me at all as i had said on the podcast i never desired to be a prophet i don't view myself as a prophet with being able to go over dates times and specifics but you have to be able to look at what's happening now and see it for what it is and so i think i have kind of found out how it's possible that there can be such a deceptive perspective by the church would you like to jump in with me as I read these scriptures and give your opinion?
0: I don't really want to steal your thunder with the scriptures, but there's a lot. I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is Hebrews 5, Mm -hmm. 12 and 14. It says, by now you should be teachers. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the first things you need to know from God's word. You need milk instead of food. Anyone who lives on milk cannot understand the teachings about being right with God. He is a baby, a solid the food is for full grown men. Uh, they have learned to use their minds to tell the difference between good and evil, well,
1: that uh, goes exactly along the line. It, it's a different scripture reference, but it's the same topic matter, mm-hmm. and we find it all throughout scripture,
0: right? I mean, you got people like literally who've been Christians longer than I've been alive, and it's like, what wait a second, what, what, like, we're you, gonna definitely speak to that, and yeah. Address that. So, but I'll, I'll, you know, me, I'm not bashful, I'll, no. I'll definitely, In Ephesians so.
1: chapter four, this says borderline the same thing. But it actually allows us to see what can happen to a Christian that doesn't get off of the spiritual titty and get onto the meat. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see what happens. Ephesians 4.4, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of... Of deceitful plotting, that's exactly what I feel is happening from the highest-ranking positions in in worlds in the world. Okay, it tells us that as children, whether it be spiritually, metaphorically, children or little children, it's easy to be deceived. Mm-hmm. Children are very trustworthy. They are very open. To being told what is and what isn't. And the Bible shows us that as a Christian, spiritually stunting yourself and staying on milk with no maturity and no growth keeps you in a position open to faulty doctrine, to deceitful, plotting, evil cunningness by our enemy. And we're open to that as children. But the the desire of Jesus is that we grow up in all things. There's the spiritual maturity, a spiritual growth. And that, and I'm going to get into that. But I just wanted to start with Ephesians chapter four, verse four, and let the listeners know that if you would like to just read two, three scriptures in dealing with spiritual infancy, being as a spiritual child, the dangers to what that means to the modern day church and the modern day Christians is that you allow yourself to be tricked. You allow yourself to be deceived. So I think where we are is because there is such non-spiritual growth as a whole, people that have committed to spiritual growth and have got off of the spiritual milk and onto the spiritual meat through the Holy Spirit and his leading and his teaching and his guiding, we see what's happening now differently. Even though we're looking at the same thing, we see it differently. And then we recognize where we are now in conjunction to what the Bible tells us is going to happen Mm -hmm. in the last days. And so when we speak currently about what is currently happening, happening with the veil of deception being lifted off our eyes, we are almost viewed because we can do that as a prophet. And we're not. We we cannot sit here and tell you current, read your mail of specifics, tell you um, future dates, times, minutes, and seconds. But as somebody that grows spiritually, And you just simply don't allow yourself to be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be tricked. Don't be so open and vulnerable to what somebody is telling you, but compare it to the Word of God. Compare it in your prayer closet, in prayer time, in talking to Jesus. And so through this spiritual maturing process, there is a shield, there is a protection against these cunning, deceptive lies that are bombarding us, Mr. William?
0: Well, I mean, uh, you know, a couple things. You know, that scripture deals with doctrine. It, so he's speaking mm-hmm. specifically to doctrine of the word, of the order of God in our lives. And I just personally look at things now, like all this stuff about T.D. Jakes is now starting to come out, uh, Steve Furtick, Kurt Franklin, you know, some of these other bigger name ministers who I believe it is part of that process that you're talking about, these doctrines, these people have been teaching have not lined up with the gospel. And now it's started to be exposed. But when you say things like what I just said, people are going to compare you to Cat Williams or this or that. And the reality of it is, is like, just simply look, just listen. And that's why I love that that quote. It's maturity comes not with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. You are Only young once, but immaturity could last a lifetime. And once again, going back to like just things like my wife and I have seen people in our life, the behavior demonstrated it's by quote unquote professing Christians, it is anti scriptural. and, And when you talk about immaturity lasting a lifetime, but you're only young once, you know, and the definition of maturity is accepting responsibility, it's accepting the responsibility of. What we talked about last episode, people letting their first love be corrupted. And I, just one other thing, you know, it's interesting. We talk about a prophet because the office of a prophet in the New Testament, as Paul talks about in First Corinthians 14, has to strengthen courage and uplift. But the idea of, you know, what you're saying, I believe is something that God is going to, you know, start to reinstate or yeah. re-energize that idea of prophets because, Traditionally, uh, the prophet is the spoke, thank you, the the mouthpiece of God. And we've had an absence of that. And those who have sat in, quote unquote, sat in those offices, I believe, have not been accurate. Talking about the fivefold gifts, I believe that as a group, the remnant, whatever you want to call it, have been in a process of being matured, that they've been shunned by a lot of the the quote unquote church, that because of their perspective, and I certainly can relate to this, like how I look at things like, well, this is what the Bible says, this is what I see, that there is this maturation process that has been happening. And now I think there's going to be a fullness of time coming about where the real apostles, the real evangelists, the real prophets, the uh, real pastors, real teachers are going to be given favor in the lives of people, not on big platforms, maybe not even on TV or whatever, um, maybe just a couple blockheads in a basement uh, like us that God's going to use because it, it ruins that idealistic notion of what, a person who is a man or, or a woman of God should be, yeah. and that is insulting to the senses. And that's why, you know, Jesus came in the way He did—a a complete scandal, a, just the opposite of what so many people would expect the King of Kings to come as.
1: So I I couldn't agree more, and I think what we need to to do is just be honest and be real, right. and lay it out there and let the people decide and let the people respond. And Jesus allowed the people to make choices and decisions. And I think one of the biggest incorrections is to think that the years of professing your Christianity is what determines the level of your maturity is like, how many times have I read the Bible How many times have I went to church? How many years have I served God? And so I'm a spiritually mature Christian. And the truth of the matter is like millions of Christians are growing older, but they're not growing up. It's like spiritual growth is not automatic. And that's where I think we have been Deceived, and I said this before that the devil is not afraid of church at all, he's not afraid of religion, he's not afraid of religious leaders. Um, He sits comfortably in the middle of all that. What he is afraid of is relationship with Jesus.
0: Well, I mean, 70% of the church doesn't even believe in in a place of hell, in in that that place of torment and and the rejection of God, the the absence of Holy Spirit. Uh, Even if you aren't a believer, the presence of God is still manifest in this earth. The absolute removal of that, most of the churches in America statistically don't even believe that. So that's exactly right. You know, so hundred percent. Yeah. So just because you now reading your Bible, being in that place of ministry yeah. and um, going m- maybe to church regularly or attending regularly, those should only be supplements to your spiritual maturity, not the litmus test. That isn't your relationship with Jesus. Right. Because it's like <laughs> me saying, Hey, I went into a McDonald's so that automatically makes me a chicken nugget. And that isn't, no. That's correct. (laughs) And I think what needs to be taught and and preached
1: is that spiritually maturing is a decision. It isn't automatic. And it's not something that happens just because of repentance. Spiritual maturity is effort and it's commitment and it's a decision. And I think that that's the biggest thing to teach to... Um, surface Christians, surface level Christians, beginning Christians, long-term christian it doesn't matter, is that if they have never understood that spiritual maturity is not automatic and it doesn't just happen because of years of professing relationship with Jesus, but it's commitment and it's effort and it starts with a decision.
0: There's a price to pay to mature. People either don't want to pay that price or they do Don't know they have to pay a price. John C. Maxwell's 21 uh, irrefutable laws of leadership. Rule number one is everything rises and falls on leadership. So if you're talking about a group of people collectively dealing with a lack of maturity, you have to look at those whose responsibility is to shepherd those into the place of maturity, into a place of wisdom, into a place of experience. Um, That's not to nullify individual responsibility, but, you know, how will they hear if no one goes to tell them? How will they, you know, uh, it's that whole idea of if no one is teaching them, they're not going to pick it up on themselves.
1: Yes. Couldn't agree more. And I want to give just one illustration, although I could give 12, but Jesus made a appeal to his disciples and I'm going to give one just one encounter and you know it's found Matthew chapter nine verse nine and he says, "Come be my disciple Jesus said to him so Matthew got up and followed him and you say Tim that's just one I'm sorry you say Carl that's <laughs> just one little verse that's so insignificant but The Holy Spirit can take something that seems insignificant and completely transform your thinking, which is what he did with this verse to me. When Jesus says, come be my disciple, he wasn't commanding him to come. That wasn't a commandment. It was an invitation. Now, when Jesus spoke to the dead body of Lazarus and Jesus said, come Out of that tomb. That wasn't an invitation. Even if Lazarus enjoyed being dead, even if Lazarus was comfortable where he was in paradise, even if Lazarus wished to stay that way, when Jesus spoke to the body of Lazarus and said, Come, that was a commandment. When Jesus spoke to Matthew here and said, come and follow me, that was not a commandment. It was an invitation. So what did Matthew do? He made a decision and he went and followed him. Now, there was another scripture reference where a rich young ruler was bragging to Jesus about everything he had done since he was a child, about all of the qualifications to be a disciple, about everything in his life that he had accomplished, which is works and religion. And when Jesus gave that young man the same invitation that he had given his other 12 disciples, Jesus simply didn't say, come. He said with a precursor, great, now go sell everything you own. And then what? come and follow me again was not a commandment to come follow me it was a commandment when he said go sell everything you have see therein is where you see when a decision had to be made the young ruler had to make a decision am i gonna follow the commandment of jesus to sell everything, and then accept the invitation of Jesus to be his disciple. And when he was confronted with the decision that meant he would have to get rid of what really mattered to him, he was not willing to accept that criteria. And I think what's happening in society with Christians today is they are willing to accept the invitation, but they're not willing to accept the criteria
0: that comes with that, right? The example of the rich young ruler he has a litany of achievements that he has mastered, but there still lacked a great level of maturity because he was not able to follow Christ at whatever that cost was, thinking only that I've been going to church for X amount of years, I've read my Bible 88 times. I, it was a performance-driven, idealistic state of self-identification that, in terms of eternity, didn't amount to a hill of beans.
1: No. What this man wanted, he wanted the invitation without the requirements. He wanted the invitation without the prerequisite. Expectations. The responsibility. He to, the, he, yes. He wanted to be able to accept the invitation of Jesus with nothing attached. And spiritual growth is different than spiritual repentance or act of conversion. The act of conversion is just the beginning. And I would also speak this before I go to the next scripture. If the 12 disciples were when they were given the invitation to become a disciple and follow Jesus, if they would have known what that really meant. See, they had no idea. They had no clue that 11 out of the 12 were going to be martyred. They had no clue at that time that 11 out of the 12 were going to be tortured and imprisoned and isolated and put on islands and beat to preach the gospel. But you know what happened? I'll tell you what happened, spiritual growth. Because it was in the process of walking with Jesus and it was in the process of daily interactions. It was in the process that from spiritual infancy, which was when they began to know him, to spiritual maturity, which was after they had spent three and a half years with him, that that from the day one when they made the decision to the day that they ended up losing their life, there had been s- enough spiritual growth and enough spiritual maturity in their life so that when they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus, not knowing the implications of where that would lead them, they had developed enough spiritually and matured enough spiritually through time with Jesus so that what they wouldn't have been able to endure at the initial invitation, which is spiritual infancy, they grew to accept at the end. And to the point where it was actually said that I'm not even worthy to be crucified, I turned my cross upside down. That's how much I have grown to know Jesus. That's how much I have matured that I couldn't control my tongue because I was an infant. I couldn't control my attitude and my impulse. I swore like non-Christians, I had anger issues that caused me to cut army uh, military's ears off and defend Jesus, but I matured to the point that when my time came, I wasn't even worthy to be crucified like him. That's called spiritual maturity, and it doesn't happen overnight, and so we have to understand That the initial invitation to come is followed with particular responsibilities and expectations in this growth process, Mr. William. Well,
0: James, one of Jesus' apostles, (laughs) here, this is James 1, verse 3, it says, Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace, and let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. There is no shortcut. There is no bartering tool. There is no way to circumvent that in order to mature, you have to endure unpleasant things. And when you are You've been raised in a a group that teaches your best life now. And and what's happened, I think, even on a grander scale is I'm not liking him to Christ, but John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. There are so many people that have gotten the gospel twisted, thinking the gospel is about us as individuals. The gospel is about Christ, Mm -hmm. about his lordship. And when our focus isn't on that, when our focus is on, oh, how how can I have a better life? How can I have my best life now? How can I afford these blessings? How can I, you know, I, I, I. and, And when you read the writings of the apostles, it's all about Christ. Absolutely, in his kingdom. Exactly. Which is our future home. Exactly.
1: Which should mean something to us. But I have one more scripture at, at this point that I want to bring out because I want to establish that there is nothing supernatural about the spiritual growth now that's been a misnomer that's been misrepresented um we always say well if jesus wants to or whenever jesus wants to or we always leave things up to jesus and on his timing and we turn something that isn't spiritual into something spiritual we turn something that isn't supernatural into something that is supernatural and in reality, that's not how this works. This is a collaborative relationship. In other words, I stay in my lane, Jesus stays in his lane. <laughs> right. That's not hard for some people to hear, but then others wouldn't like it. But I'm sorry, it's scriptural. And I'm going to show it to you. I shouldn't have to prove it to you, so I'm going to just say I'm going to read it to the listeners. It's found in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is a collaborative joint effort with us and Jesus. And I'm going to show what I'm talking about. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, in Philippians, we find out there are two things taking place here. There's a working out and a working in. God is not going to do the working out part of our collaborative relationship, and we can't do the working in part. It's a collaborative, what we call, relationship. It isn't rule-driven. It isn't regulation-driven. It isn't religion. It is work. He even says in the beginning, Continue to work continue that word work is what sacrifice commitment, discipline, effort. That's not spiritual. See, I'm so tired of everything being pushed on God as the problem that he's not ready. And I'm so tired of the devil getting the pushed on credit about all this evil that's happening as if we have nothing to do with it. I'm sick of it, and I believe that the sickness of it is because I truly believe that the Spirit of God is grieved. I truly believe that Jesus is offended and hurt. And I truly believe that the Holy Spirit, who is so important to us, that Jesus said, I have to go. Because if I don't go, the Spirit can't come. And his ministry is equally and more important than my ministry has been. Well, what is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit in my life, according to Philippians, when we're talking about two events taking place, a working out and a working in, it is my responsibility to work out the things in my life that are a hindrance for spiritual growth. See, that's not up to God. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I got to say it again. I am so tired Of people sitting back and sucking spiritual milk, waiting on Jesus to do something that Jesus is saying, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry, but you must make the commitment. You must put the work in. You must have the discipline. And how does that happen? I believe that the collaborative effort is a joint venture where... We work out with fear and trembling that God works in us to achieve once we've committed to eliminate the things that are not pleasing to him. And then the Holy Spirit, he is the stirring stick. And what do I mean by that? Because it is God who works in us. It is us who works things out of us. And it is the Holy Spirit who works with us. To do both. What do I mean? God works in. We work out. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to work with. And what part of with? He, The Holy Spirit is the one that is responsible for the working in and the working out. See, we make the commitment. We make the decision. We make it. We, we, we make choices. And we begin to work it out. And we say, God, you got to help me. Because I'm trying to overcome this thing, but it's getting the best of me again. And and was it not Paul that said, why? Why do I desire to do certain things? And those are the things I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So if the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, the teacher, the great Paul, struggled, then we have to know that as we work out these things, And as God is working in us, the Holy Spirit has to strengthen us. He is the one that works with us. And when we're struggling to get out of us what is not pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit is the one that says, I'm here with you. You made a commitment. You made the hard choice. You're working it out. You're not alone. I am your partner. I will strengthen you. I will work within you to get that out of you. And the whole time Jesus is saying, you know, the change that happened in you, it cost me everything. I left my throne. I laid my life down. And I resurrected and I did the work so that the Holy Spirit, your partner, as he's working with you, he can begin to move in you and he can get things out of you because you know you're not strong enough. I'm not. I'm not strong enough to grow spiritually. I'm not. But I am strong enough to make the choice, to make the decision, to commit to it to have discipline, to figure out these things that are taking my time, that are robbing me of spiritual maturity, and when I can't fight and I'm too weak or I've got my butt kicked or I failed again, he is the Holy Spirit, Mr. William, that as he's working with us, he is getting out of us because we made the decision, we made the choice and we're in the fight, and I think that is why we are so inept as a body of believers, to impact society so that society has impacted us. Culture has impacted our thinking, and our thinking has not impacted culture. And so as we sit by and we want to know what we can do and how we can fight and what difference we can make, and we continue to say, whenever God's ready, I'm ready. Whenever God's going to move, I'll accept it. And the truth of the matter is... That this relationship thing with Jesus is collaborative, it's interactive, it's a joint effort, and when we take our part and we make the choice like Matthew did to just simply, and all the disciples, to just come and follow him, and we accept the responsibilities that come with that, we begin to grow. But if we're going to be like the rich young ruler... And we're going to reject the requirements and we're going to say, I love the world too much and I love the things this world has to give and I want my big house and I want to eat steak seven days a week instead of sometimes ramen noodles and bologna and I have to live this lifestyle and this means too much to me and I can't do it and I'm not going to grow, but God, if you want to move if you want to intervene, I'm going to go ahead and let you. The truth of the matter is that's not what it says in Philippians the Bible tells us in Philippians that we must work it takes effort and it takes sacrifice and it's going to cost something but if we commit to it Mr. William and we work out those things with fear and trembling then the Jesus in us works in us the Holy Spirit works with us on both fronts and we can become mature and we can begin to see what is happening in the world right now and even though we may not be able to predict times, seconds, and dates, we can know for sure that these are the last seconds of the last days, that this is a different time period, that this is the the last hour, and that there is an urgency for the harvest that is white and white and ready to be harvested and souls to be saved and then through spiritual maturity, we can be convicted enough or moved enough with love and compassion and urgency to go out and be one of the few workers because the harvest is vast, but the workers are few. And therein, I feel, is the deficiency with spiritual growth.
0: So you eat bologna with your ramen?
1: Me? Yeah. Um, well, I'll go with a bologna sandwich fried with mustard and oh, wheat maybe. bread I'm st- and two ramen uh, bags. And the reason that I will do that two, maybe three days a week is because you have to make choices. And when I go grocery shopping now, and it's just two of us, (laughs) and if I were to eat what I want to eat, what I enjoy to eat, okay, and I'm just being real and practical, and I'm not judging anybody, and I'm not saying anything, but we better make some choices because because if you want to continue to eat the way you used to eat three years ago, And if there's two of you, God forbid that I would even guess a family, but if there's two of you, what used to cost $130 a week is now $300, Mm -hmm. you better make some choices. Do I need to have pleasure? In other words, is food not to sustain life? Yes. But if we're going to make a decision to prioritize that we have to continually pleasure ourselves. And I know this is me maybe being radical. I don't even care anymore. I'm getting old. I really just don't care. I'm saying for my life, I have to make choices because choices that I make dictate how much I have to work to make that money. Mm -hmm. And how much I work to make that money to, to, um, to exist in a society where I've placed importance will dictate my commitment to church, my commitment to do this podcast. In other words, if I had to be at work right now, I wouldn't be able to share this good news. But the choices that I made over paying a dollar forty-eight, which where I buy my baloney for twelve slices or whatever, and um, to buy the ramen noodles where there's twelve packs, and it used to be just a couple bucks, now it's like it's under five. But The point that I'm making is, yeah, I'm not too proud to admit, and I'm not saying it for any kind of repercussions with emails, but these are just little examples of if you want to make a difference. There is nothing supernatural that I'm talking about right now. But if I can save myself $200 a week by choices that I make just on food pleasure, and I could go on and on and on about entertainment and indulging in that self-seeking self-fulfillment and how much money that costs. If I make decisions that have nothing to do with supernatural, but just practical, then what I do is I become less enslaved to this system, okay? this financial strength, this financial burden. So if I choose to make my life doable and sustainable for health and longevity, and I do that with the motive of establishing the kingdom of God, then yes, practically, I can save in certain areas of my life, and I have it figured down, to about $1,000 a month. And by doing that in a budget of just practical choices and self-sacrifice, because I'm not just trying to self-indulge like an infant, you know, we talked about infants before. A right. child. Right. An infant doesn't know how to do anything other than indulge. They are totally dependent upon others, right? So they don't understand what it's like to think of others because they need others just to survive. And so if motive is your brother and your sister and establishing the kingdom of God and you grow and you mature, then in today's trap that the devil has set up, which we call the system of the world, you better start making mature, practical choices, even down to the minute part of how many times a week now am I going to have to eat peanut butter and jelly instead of a steak and a potato with a side. Right. To me, I don't care. Well, in that. W- about the, the, the food pleasure thing.
0: Right. The, so the larger point with, with me being a smart aleck uh, side uh, is those are choices that have come through maturity. So I'd assume 20, 30 years ago, you would not be able to have that perspective. Three years ago, I didn't. Okay. So I'm going to, to simplify for me, what I heard you say, which I think if you're listening, you should rewind what he says from Philippians, because that's one of my favorite. Mm -hmm. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I know people have heard me say this before. I got this from my buddy, Paul Miller. God has a part. We have a part. God won't do our part, and we can't do his part. That's what I heard you say in in its lowest common denominator. That's a
1: beautiful description of a collaborative Mm -hmm. relationship.
0: And meaning if we want to know what God's word says, we have to open our scriptures, we have to open our Bible and spend that time reading. If we want to hear him, if we want to know what his direction or his purpose in our life is, We have to spend time. We have to sacrifice whatever time that is, watching TV or, I don't know, taking a longer No, you're right. Whatever. You're right. And you know what?
1: To break out initially of the system, it's overwhelming. I mean, seriously, it's going to take a plan. I'm serious. Like, for me, a few years ago... I didn't have enough hours in the day because of my being trapped. So I had to start waking up at 5 o'clock. That was a sacrifice. Like, I can't make more hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And I only have so many. So if I don't have that alone time to shape my mind for the day, and I used to get up at six and still have time, then what do you do? You make a practical decision. That's not spiritual. Right. And God's not going to do that. He's not going to just wake you up every day. It takes a choice in a plan. Mm -hmm. And, like, these are just practical,
0: like, little things. Exactly. Like, I tell people... Read two chapters Mm -hmm. a day. It's not quantity, it's quality. Read two chapters of the Bible a day. If you could read more, fantastic. I mean, if you could read Solomon in a day, great. And most but, people, if they read two scriptures a day, that would start out being
1: double what they usually do.
0: Well, and, and not being mean. And no, I, I mean, hope you're, they once don't again, think you're that. being. No, I don't think so at all. I think you're being Be, being real. The statistics say that even leadership in church right. spend less than five minutes a day in prayer and in reading. And the, these are statistics. These are these are the facts. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean. I think what you're saying is a nice piggyback from last week's episode. Absolutely. Because I think God loves us enough to woo us to him, to begin that process of beholding his beauty and being captivated. And, and people listen, you if everyone you know, what's the old um Um, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. There's an old saying. Listen, I don't know what you guys think heaven is going to be like, but you can read in Revelation that in heaven, there are 24 thrones. Mm. There's the elders. There's the, you know, these four Creatures, It's that like have, a continual
1: worship. that's mode. all it is right. That's my point. It's all it,
0: it it's all it is. and and the reason I believe people are able to worship God for eternity is because he is going to be revealing right. things of himself that we are going to continually find so magnificent that we are compelled in his eternal presence to offer nothing but praises and cast our crowns and, and bow down before him. However, Until we get to that point, it is literally the practical day in, day out, now that you're talking. So we we first have the idea that we're returning to our first love like we talked last week. Mm -hmm. Now we're like, okay, God loves us enough not to leave us where we're at. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, we, we got a new dog a couple months ago. His name is Waylon. And I just seen this guy grow, but we love him enough to... Discipline him Because if we don't He's going to think Oh I can bite people Or I can jump up on people Or I can pee And poop in the house Whenever I want And God doesn't want us Pissing just everywhere No and he so the the process of maturing means that we're growing inevitably more and more to take responsibility for our spiritual well-being mm. and then as he opens doors and as we move forward in this process and in this relationship he then entrusts us with hey I'm putting this person in your life because they need this lessons I've taught you. They they are in the position where they need someone to mentor or to guide them. Uh, you know, and, and it's all cyclical. So I think this is a great next step as we're looking into this year. And and the other thing I'll say, and then I'm I'll shut I'll set my, myself down in lieu of things like you're talking about, Carl. Um, you know, in Ezekiel, you know, the hand writ yeah. wrote on the wall, and it's like, oh, okay. You know, hello, McFly. We're in a point now where any level of maturity, you can begin to discern what is happening and not be so self-absorbed and not be so uh, like in a bubble. And once again, for us, our, our, point our platform is the things that are happening now is the establishment of that Mm antichrist governmental system that new world order america is being uh, i believe erased Mm -hmm. and once america falls the whole world is going to just be ushered in right and and we have a a like you said we have a direct result in that Uh, by us spreading the gospel Mm -hmm. by us praying, standing in the gap, you know, uh, like not to use a too churchy of a term, but we have a direct result in that. And and are we going to exercise it? I don't know. Are we going to hold our our church leaders and the people around us accountable saying, "Eh, I don't know if you want to do that. How can you justify that in the scripture? Give me an example of God doing that in history. You know, just once again, practical things, Hey, you're going to make that decision in your life. I'm just curious. What scripture are you using that justifies that? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, uh, Carl, uh, you're doing that. Where do you find that at in the in the gospel, man? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. And, and it's once again... Some but, kind and, of accountability. Right, but it's loving somebody enough to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and that's what God does to us through the process of maturing. So, um, yeah, that's all I got.
1: Yeah, I think I'm done after just one statement, and we can get into these... More in the next upcoming podcast. This idea that I'm getting ready to share. But we need to look at the kingdom of hell. And we need to look at Satan or Lucifer. Whatever they want to call him. And understand that he has infiltrated and camouflaged all systems, all organizations, all structure. That has to do with world authority. And if you don't see it and you don't recognize it. Please pray if you have to fast and set time aside, make choices and decisions, or whatever. Nothing makes the devil happier than to think that when Christians are talking about world problems, that they think those problems can be solved politically. Because this is not a political issue anymore, or financially, with the financial institutions, or medically because these are all tools and they're all avenues to bring in and establish a world system and that goal is the absolute destruction of the kingdom of heaven and that is our warfare it is the kingdom of heaven being established and the kingdom of hell fighting against that and we'll get into that way more and I know a lot of people's heads are spinning, but I, I think what I want to start to do at the end of each podcast is throw something out there at the very end to just leave people, I don't want to say confused, but wanting more yeah. or saying, what the heck's he talking about? Well,
0: and, and baiting the hook. Yes. Yeah you you, as you were were saying that, and I want you to pray us out after I say this, there's a guy I like to listen to, his name's Steve Quayle, and I once heard him say, there are no political answers for spiritual issues. Mm. And I think that quantifies perfectly what you said and what our focus moving forward is going to be. So uh, if you could pray us out, that'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you for waking me for spanking me for shocking my world for bringing discomfort and for stirring the nest because it's out of that that I found a new level of trust in you and dependence I know you provide in every aspect of my life I pray that people that are listening would make practical choices and logical decisions and whatever needs to happen to free them up to be at your service and to fulfill their purpose that you have for them, please allow them to accept that, God. I pray that you would move in each listener's life, each person's life, that you would begin to create a process of spiritual maturity that actually starts when we make a decision and when we make a commitment and we start to work out of our life those things that have been a hindrance and that have kept us at bay and then we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to work with us as he moves in us to get those things out and strengthens us. God, I pray that you would do this for people that, even that have listened to the podcast for years, that have never made that commitment or have never even thought of it because maybe they never heard it, and it's not their fault. But, God, they are now aware. They've been made aware, and I pray that you would develop in each one a maturity level that daily grows and that weekly grows and that it would never end. And God, I thank you that you're going to do it. And we ask it in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. Great. Thank you, Carl. Please share this episode. We're asking you to share again. (laughs) Uh, Once again, you can find us anywhere. Podcasts are, we're uh, under Flawcast CLE on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor.fm. You can find us on the video platform Rumble under Flawed Inc. Uh, We're on the Project Mockingbird social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are on Getter and Gab, all under Flawed Inc. Uh, There is a link in the description box to pick up my book, Smith's Heart of Man Repair Manual. Uh, You're definitely going to want to get that. And uh, our email is FlawedIncCLE at gmail.com. Have uh, any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you want to ask Carl about his dietary needs, <laughs> I should write a book. You should I mean, like a diet. Budget. Ramen and bologna. Uh, in, <laughs> but uh, uh, that grilled be, cheese
1: is another good one.
0: That, by the way, that that is good. With some tomato soup. And I mean, you know, I can't go wrong with any of that. So, um, all right, go and enjoy some lunch, and we will see you guys next week.